thank WGNS for providing the airtime. We also thank our producer, Nick Coyne. Most of all, we thank you for listening. In our Inside the Court segment, District Attorney General Jennings Jones will tell you about recent and upcoming grand jury, general sessions, and circuit court activity. In our Call to Conviction segment, we will highlight a case that focuses on a recurring disaster. It is a family catastrophe that can lead to murder. The catastrophe is domestic violence. One of the murders that domestic violence led to is the 2013 Valentine's Day murder of Carla Pierman. The Carla Pierman case will be our focus on From Call to Conviction. Then, in our What's the Law segment, former District Attorney General Bill Weitzel will discuss an area of the law that you will find to be both interesting and educational. It is the law regarding domestic violence. And with his guest, Murfreesboro attorney Mitch Shannon, General Weitzel will not only discuss domestic violence, but they will also discuss the outstanding work of the Rutherford County Domestic Violence Center. And finally, if time allows, we will close the program with our cold case profile segment. We will be asking for your help in solving a mystery. We will begin the broadcast after you listen to these important messages. Hi, this is Dave Kivanimi at Music World and Drummer's Den. Music World now is the dealer for Ernie Ball, Sterling Guitars and Basses. This is a great new line of guitars and basses, and it's a fantastic complement to our Taylor Acoustics and our Paul Reed Smith Electrics. We've also got ESP LTDs, which are a fantastic line of guitars. This is Dave Kivanimi at Music World and Drummer's Den on South Church Street across from Indian Hills Golf Course. This is Peter Demas with Demas Family of Restaurants. When it's getting cold outside and you don't want to really get out of your car, Demas's has now started a curbside service. So you can order online, put your make and model of your car into the website, and when the food is ready, we will bring it out to your car, and therefore you can still be in your pajamas and come and get lunch and go back to your home if you want to. Curbside service. It's just another level of service of which we are trying to provide the residents of Murfreesboro. Visit us online at demasrestaurants.com. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. It is important that we honor our American veterans every day. That's why Family Staffing Solutions takes great pride in saluting our local veterans here in Rutherford County. Veterans, we thank you, and your story matters to us. Family Staffing Solutions, stay independent at home and in charge. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. 
Each congressman, senator, and governor could test as many people as they wanted to get down to 10. Well, mine tested 100. The academy was brand new. West Point and Annapolis, you got a primary or an alternate, where if you passed, you're in. If you failed, the alternate goes. In this salute, we talked to a veteran who served in the U.S. Air Force. So I graduated. James Deck, better known as J.D., flew a C-130 in Vietnam. They sent us to sea survival. We went out there and they scared the out of us. They let us float out in a raft by ourselves, in a single man raft. And then we went to Stead Air Force Base for jungle survival. They chased us all over the mountain shooting at us. We lived off of wild radishes and onions and things like that. And then they captured you and you went into POW training and you spent like seven different ways they were going to interrogate you. And they said, the only thing we can't replicate is the fear of death, but everything else we can do. And they did. And I had many friends that had nervous breakdowns and they failed. One of the things that most of the people broke down on was they shoved you into a box and just kept pushing till you couldn't move. And we had a bag over our head 24-7. I was in there and I could rub my nose with one finger. So I fixated on being able to do this instead on the pain and suffering. James Deck, a veteran of Vietnam. This has been a salute to veterans. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, everyone. This is your district attorney, Jennings Jones, and in this segment, I will be your tour guide as I take you inside the courts. We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted, and of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. On April the 9th, 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence at North Rutherford Boulevard in response to a shooting resulting in the death of Mr. Stephen Lopez, Jr. Detective Richard Presley has been assigned as lead investigator for the Murfreesboro Police Department. Detective Presley has, been char- has charged Mr. James Evans III with the second-degree murder of Mr. Stephen Lopez, Jr., Mr. Evans posted a bond and made his initial appearance in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County, where he waived his right to a preliminary hearing and is now awaiting presentment of his case to the grand jury. 54-year-old Martin Benito Montmire is scheduled to appear in the courtroom of Judge David Bragg on February the 9th of this year. Martin Montmire is charged with first-degree murder. On March 31, 2019, at approximately 3 a.m., the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to the Montmire home in the 400 block of Sunset Avenue in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Once inside the home, they discovered the body of Martin Montmire's wife, 53-year-old Judith Montmire. Judith Montmire had been killed by knife wounds that she had suffered at the hands of her assailant. Judith Montmire was the manager at Donut Country, located on Memorial Boulevard. Following the initial investigation, Murfreesboro Detective Jacob Felton charged Martin Montmire with the murder of his wife, Judith Montmire. Martin Montmire will be represented by Rutherford County Assistant Public Defender Ben Wetzel. The state will be represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Dana Minor. In this case, the state has given notice that if Martin Montmire is convicted of murder, it will be seeking a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole.
Martin Montmeyer is also being held for a Texas parole violation on two prior murder convictions. Martin Montmeyer remains in state custody at the Rutherford County Jail, awaiting further court action. On April the 30th of 2018, 17-year-old Yuji Cherubin was shot and killed at, the Laverne, at a Laverne residence while his two siblings sat with him in his car. According to the Laverne Police Department, Cherubin went into an address at the 2000 block of George Buchanan Drive in Laverne, Tennessee. Cherubin was in the process of attempting to buy an iPhone when he was shot in the face and robbed. Cherubin later died at a local hospital. Within 24 hours, the Laverne Police Department located and charged two juveniles with the murder of Cherubin. Earlier this year, the two juveniles were transported to the adult courts by Juvenile Court Judge Donna Scott Davenport. Now that the two juveniles have been adjudicated to be treated as adult, we can provide their names. They are Brian Berry and Marquez Hughes. Brian Berry is being represented by Murfreesboro attorney Derek Howard. Marquez Hughes is represented by Assistant Public Defender Ben Wetzel. The state is being represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. Brian Berry and Marquez Hughes are currently being held at the Rutherford County Jail, unable to postpone. On the 26th of June, 2019, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Walnut Grove Road. Mr. Terry Barber was found deceased on the floor with his hands and feet bound together. Detectives Ty Downing and Steve Brown have been assigned as lead investigators. Following their investigation, the detectives developed several individuals as suspects in the case. Devon Gailey, Brent Ross, and Vernice Ferrer have been charged with first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, and fraudulent use of a debit card. All three defendants have appeared before the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County and are represented by separate counsel. After a preliminary hearing, a General Sessions Court for Rutherford County bound the matter over to the grand jury. In June of 2020, a Rutherford County grand jury indicted the three defendants on all charges. The defendants will appear before the Division II Circuit Court on March 18th of this year. On December 28th of last year, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department arrested Mr. Juan Lugo for the murder of his wife, Brecca Lugo. Brecca Lugo's body was found on the side of a road in Christiana. She had been strangled and stabbed and left for dead. Detective Joe Duncan with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department has been assigned as lead investigator. Following Detective Duncan's investigation, Juan Lugo was charged with the first-degree murder of Brecca Lugo, abuse of a corpse, and tampering with evidence. Juan Lugo is currently being held at the Rutherford County Jail on a $500,000 bond, awaiting his appearance in General Sessions Court. And that will conclude our look inside the courts. Have you experienced the nightmare of water, mold, or fire damage? Call Restoration One for a free estimate. Veteran and locally owned, fast and available 24-7. Restoration One offers preventative maintenance so that you never have to experience a loss like this again. Restoration One, the water damage experts. On our call to conviction segment, we will review a murder case that grabbed national attention. It is the murder of Carla Pierman. With us today to discuss the case, is Detective James Abbott of the Murfreesboro Police Department. From call to conviction, time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, 
to the prosecution. On our case study today, we'll review a murder that gained national attention and touched the lives of many people in our Rutherford County community. It is the 2013 Valentine's Day murder of Carla Pierman. The location of the crime is the 800 block of Canatac Lane here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It is the home of Carla Pierman. It is in the very early morning hours of February the 14th, 2013. But to fully understand this case, we must begin our story on December the 14th, 2012 at approximately 6.30 a.m. Carla Pierman's seven-year-old son is frantically running down the street toward his school, Blackman Elementary. At the same time, one of his teachers is driving to work. The teacher is shocked by what she observes. She sees a seven-year-old student that she knows running down the street, and the shocking part is that the temperature is in the low 20s and that the child is barefooted and that all the child is wearing is his pajamas. The teacher stops and puts the child into her car and drives to school. There, an investigation begins. At the school, the child tells the police why he was outside in the sub-freezing weather and why he was barefooted and wearing only his pajamas. He explains that earlier that morning he was asleep in his bedroom when he was suddenly awakened. After being rousted out of bed, he was violently kicked in his stomach and choked by his attacker. He said the reason he left the safety of his own home was to escape from the person who had attacked him. The person he was fleeing from was his stepfather, Jacob Pierman. While interviewing the child, investigators observed that the child has fresh and visible injuries to his stomach and throat. Through their investigation, enough evidence is developed to charge the child's stepfather, Jacob Pierman, with child abuse. When interviewed by the authorities, Jacob Pierman denied hurting his stepson, claiming the injuries were caused by wrestling. Jacob Pierman was relying heavily on the support of his wife, Carla Pierman, to buttress and support his story. A hearing date was scheduled for February the 14th, 2013. Carla Pierman decided that she did not believe her husband's story. She began to tell her friends that she was not going to testify for Jacob Pierman and that she was going to get a divorce. On February the 13th at 9.30 a.m., Carla Pierman met with Murfreesboro divorce attorney John Green. Divorce filings were being prepared. On that same day, Carla told several friends and her brother that she was going to pack up Jacob Pierman's clothes and that she was going to ask him to leave the house that night. When Carla arrived home that evening, she packed Jacob Pierman's clothes and placed them by the door. Later, when Jacob Pierman arrived home, he saw the clothes. 
The couple argued several times that night. The argument continued well past midnight. And into the morning of February the 14th, 2013, the day that Jacob Pierman was scheduled to appear in court and answer the charge of child abuse. It was also Valentine's Day, but most importantly, it was going to be the last day of Carla Pierman's life. It was the day that Jacob Pierman would beat, choke, and kill Carla Pierman. Following the murder, Jacob Pierman fled the scene, but later that day he was arrested in Coffee County, Tennessee. Following the arrest, Murfreesboro Detective James Abbott interviewed Jacob Pierman. Pierman told Detective Abbott that he did beat his wife, Carla. He told the detective that he also choked Carla. He said he choked her for a long time. He said that he knew he had killed her. The confession was videotaped and was played at Pierman's preliminary hearing. After watching the tape, General Sessions Judge David Lowry sent the case to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. When we return, we will complete the story of the state of Tennessee versus Jacob Pierman. can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or kidlinkservices.com. Antibody treatments may help some people with COVID-19 avoid progression of the disease and subsequent hospitalization, but there are several steps that must be taken before antibodies can be used. That's according to Brian Garibaldi, a critical care medicine expert at Johns Hopkins. One of the challenges is that in many parts of the country, it can take a while to get a test back. So by the time you get your symptoms, then you get your tests, then you get your results back. Then these are resource intensive therapies because you have to place an IV, you have to give an infusion over at least an hour, and then you have to watch someone afterwards to make sure that they tolerated it okay. These are really hard to ramp up for many health systems. And so some health systems have said, we are overwhelmed right now with simply taking care of patients who are sick enough to be in the hospital, and we have to distribute vaccines. We don't have the staff, we can't do it. Garibaldi says it is well worth asking about the availability of antibody treatment if you have early disease or known exposures. At Johns Hopkins, I'm Elizabeth Tracy. CEO Radio, I'm Ray Hoffman. Employers are absolutely in no hurry to start calling large numbers of remote employees back to the office. In the latest conference board survey, American CEOs, and global CEOs for that matter, rank bringing back remote employees as a 2021 event near the bottom of this year's intentions. But then, as conference board CEO Steve Odland notes, the idea of increasing their remote workforce also ranks near the bottom. And we're probably talking 2022 before we start to normalize back into an office environment. And so I think you're going to find people saying, well, you know, hey, wait a minute, we've been working on a temporary basis, and now this is going to become more permanent. And companies are going to have to be asking some tough questions of themselves. Do we need to give up our leases and really go towards remote work? You know, they say WeWork is doing extremely well during this period of time because more companies are saying, well, we'll just take temporary space there rather than the cost of reopening our own offices, even though we're paying for the leases. More about the survey in the next CEO Radio. I'm Ray Hoffman. In July of 2013, the Rutherford County Grand Jury 
indicted Jacob Pierman for the first-degree murder of Carla Pierman and the aggravated assault and child abuse of Carla Pierman's seven-year-old son. The case was assigned to the court of Judge David Bragg. Jacob Pierman was represented by Murfreesboro attorneys Luke Evans and Heather Parker. The prosecution team consisted of District Attorney General William C. Weitzel, Jr., and Assistant District Attorneys J. Paul Newman and Dana Minor. The trial began on January the 12th, 2015. After listening to seven days of testimony, the jury began their deliberation. The deliberation lasted approximately seven and one-half hours over a two-day period. Then, on January the 19th, 2015, the jury returned to the courtroom and announced they had reached a decision. The jury found Jacob Pierman guilty of the first-degree murder of his wife, Carla Pierman, and guilty of the aggravated assault and child abuse of Carla Pierman's seven-year-old son. The murder charge carried with it an automatic sentence of life in prison. The other two charges required Judge Bragg to conduct a sentencing hearing. On March the 2nd, 2015, Judge Bragg sentenced Jacob Pierman to a sentence of three years for the child abuse charge and five years on the aggravated assault charge. Those two counts were ordered to be served concurrently, but consecutively to the life sentence. The effect of the three sentences meant that 32-year-old Jacob Pierman would not be eligible for parole until he was over 80 years old. Jacob Pierman is now serving that sentence in the Tennessee Department of Corrections. Murfreesboro Detective James Abbott led the investigation of this case and is here with us today. Detective Abbott, we appreciate you taking the time to be here. This was really two investigations, so it really was a team effort. Who were the law enforcement officers who were involved in these two investigations, and what roles did they play? Well, the child abuse investigation, uh, which was conducted on 12-14-2012, involved Detective Ava Radley and Detective Jennifer West. Uh, they're with our Special Victims Unit, and they investigate child abuse cases, uh, sexual assault cases, domestic violence cases. And so they, they were the initial detectives investigating the child abuse allegation. Uh, also, there was, uh, I believe it was Sergeant Sean Murphy, Officer, or Detective Christy English. I think she, yeah, Detective Christy English also was assisting with that investigation as well. And uh, then in the homicide investigation, it was uh, Detective Gorham, Sergeant Chris Ashley, uh, myself, uh, Lieutenant Mike Taylor, Sergeant Katrina Henderson, Sergeant Von Pock D, uh, and a number of other officers, detectives, uh, that first responded to the scene there at the homicide uh, when the call first went out. As you know, I mean, by the time it gets to a trial, it, there may be 100 witnesses on the criminal justice side. So there was a number of officers uh, or detectives for the initial investigations, uh, particularly in the homicide case, and then throughout the entire process, two-year process of getting this to trial. I would like to ask you a series of questions designed to tell us more about the details that led to the murder of Carla Pierman and the abuse of her son and the arrest of Jacob Pierman. My first question is, in summary form, 
What role did the school officials play in the child abuse investigation, and how would you describe their cooperation? Uh, their cooperation was was uh, very important uh, from the get-go of the investigation, uh, particularly when they found the child on December 14th uh, in his pajamas, barefooted, in 20-degree weather. Another issue that, that came up to light was uh, apparently they had started noticing other issues with the child prior to this. And so and, and when you have a case involving child abuse, you will often see that there are things that are leading up before the actual physical, maybe before the physical abuse is even noticeable. And they were able to provide details for that information as well. My next question is after Jacob Pierman had been charged with the abuse of the child, did Jacob Pierman continue to live in the home? And if so, did the child also live there? Jacob and Carla actually did continue to live there at the house. Uh, the child was actually removed by Child, Protect child Protective Services. He actually moved and, and began living with his biological father during this time period. But Carla and Jacob, uh, initially, because keep in mind, during the initial initial investigation of child abuse, Carla did defend Jacob and, and was defending him. And, and so him and her continued to live together, and, and Child Protective Services thought it would be best for the child to be placed uh, with, with the, the father. The child abuse occurred on December the 14th, 2012 and the murder of Carla Pierman occurred exactly two months later, on February the 14th, 2013. From your investigation, what role, if any, did the child abuse charge play in the murder of Carla Pierman? It was, it was the reason, I really believe. This was a situation, it was a classic case study of domestic violence, uh, domestic violence situation with Jacob. It was about control. It was about controlling his, his wife, his new wife, or his son, or stepson. Um, and so during the child abuse, Miss Pierman had made uh, reference that her child was, a, you know, cried too much sometimes and was kind of a baby and, and very defensive of Jacob Pierman. As those two months passed, friends and family had been talking to her. She'd been talking. She'd been talking to her child. Um, and she started to begin doubting Jacob's stories about how he the child was injured uh, when he would be in his care and so she was beginning to to seek other options and to try to get out of the relationship and trying to get her son back and she knew the best way for that would be a divorce as this was as this was going on for the two months jacob realized that he was beginning to lose control of his wife in uh, the situation there and so I believe on February 14th is uh, that morning he realized uh, that he had lost control and that he was he felt betrayed. Uh, as a matter of fact, he even said that in the interview. I felt betrayed that she was going to choose her. Basically, she, he indicated she was choosing her son over him. And so, uh, you know, I, I believe the, the child abuse was the, the beginning for this homicide. Detective Abbott, we do not want to forget about the victim, Carla Dillard Pierman. Please tell us about her. Carla was 30 years old. She was from Manchester, Tennessee. She was from a very close family. And her family, I mean, they, they loved her very much. She had, uh, I believe, three brothers, if I'm not mistaken, and all three brothers, uh, you know, they looked at her as their little sister. And uh, they were very close to her. And, and so... And she was very loyal, very friendly, very outgoing. And, and that was another thing that the friends all pointed out. 
was that in 2011, after she met Jacob in 2011, began dating, uh, that's when they started noticing uh, these issues with her as far as um, it seemed like he began controlling her more, keeping her away from friends or uh, or that, uh, you know, telling her how to eat, dress. So these friends started noticing all this, and the family did as well. And we obviously do not want to forget the family of Carla dillard Pierman. Tell us about their cooperation. The family was very supportive during the investigation uh, and, and prosecution of the case, to include uh, the, the child's biological father, his his family even. Uh, they were all very, it seemed like a... a uh, one large family um, coming together at meetings and things when we would be discussing the case, as, as you know, during the pretrial discussions with these these family members. Fortunately, her mother or his her father passed away recently, and uh, her mother, I still believe, uh, is still emotionally uh, scarred by this event. Detective Abbott, we want to thank you and the other members of the Murfreesboro Police Department for the excellent work that was performed in bringing Jacob Pierman to justice. Do you have any parting comments? You know, as I said before, this was a classic case study of domestic assault, beginning to control from the, from the starting of dating to marriage, controlling uh, the person, the individual. If you are in a situation like this or you see someone or know someone that is, uh, reach out, try to get them help. And remember, try not to do it alone. Carla tried to do it alone that night on, on February the 13th, tried to handle the situation by herself, and, and it cost her life. Skies will become mostly sunny here this afternoon with a high in the upper 40s. Winds out of the southwest around 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy alone near 29. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 29. Good morning. Traffic still not too terribly bad as we check it out live here on I-24 up by Sam Ridley Parkway. Traffic's been in pretty good shape for the most part, headed towards Nashville, uh, even towards Chattanooga there, over Montego Mountain. It looked like it was moving along just fine. Just give yourself extra time. There's tons of radar out here this uh, Friday morning. A Ripley's Aquarium in the Smokies will be hosting Sleep with the Sharks March 27th. All the details at Ripley's Aquarium of the Smokies.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Has life kept you away from the dentist? Visit us at Almaville Farms Family Dentistry in Smyrna. We're a family dental practice for you and your family's dental needs. We offer general and cosmetic dentistry. We're located just off of I-24 on Almaville Road. Almaville Farms Family Dentistry. Old friends, new name, better together. As First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Make your kids math fluent. This is Soundbites, and I'm Jan Smith. It's time for school, and whether your kids are heading back to the classroom or you're starting the new year teaching them at home, help them brush up their math skills with fact flow. Before your kids can master math, they need to master the facts that underline basic math theory. Fact flow gives you and your child a fun, flexible system for teaching and learning those facts and those principles in the context of a simple question and answer format. 
Your kids learn how to solve math problems by learning the whys of math. Every math fact they absorb helps build a foundation for future learning. FactFlow promises a noticeable improvement in math fluency for the average child in just three weeks. And that adds up to real math progress. Do the math yourself with FactFlow at factflow.io. With Soundbites, I'm Jan Ziff for CBS News. Hey everyone, it's Jeff Gerstmann from GiantBomb.com and I'm here with the latest from the world of video games. Lately I've been spending a lot of time with Noita, a PC game released back in October by Nala Games. Structurally, it's similar to other popular small games of the moment like Spelunky, Dead Cells, and Hades. But on a technical level, it's going for something completely different. In Noida, you play as a wizard with a series of wands and spells, and it's your goal to descend through levels and levels of caves. You become more powerful as you go, but the danger increases as well, and once you lose, you'll lose. You'll have to start over from the very beginning. The hook here is that Noida is attempting to render every little on-screen pixel in a realistic manner, so different materials behave as they should. Shooting a lantern causes a small bit of fire to fall below, and if it hits a wooden surface, well, suddenly you've got a spreading fire. These novel interactions, along with a great random level of customization, mean that no two runs unfold the same way, and the cause-and-effect nature of Noida is really a sight to see. For more news and reviews from the world of video games, find me at GiantBomb.com. We're loud, we're proud, we're blue. WGNS AM and FM, your home for the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders. What's the law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Uh, we want to welcome Mitch Shannon to the program today. Mitch is a local attorney, uh, practices law and been practicing law. How long have you been practicing law here in Rutherford County, Mitch? Um, I got my license uh, in 2001 and uh, practiced with Larry Trail and then went for about four years and then went out on my own. And uh, one of the things that uh, your law practice involves you in is uh, assisting the, the Rutherford County Domestic Violence Program. So if you would, tell us a little bit about what you do and the duties and responsibilities you uh, share with them. Well, I started working with the Domestic Violence Program about seven years ago. Um, I did a lot of uh, consulting with them, and then uh, they asked me to join their staff. So actually, uh, the Domestic Violence Program is a client of mine. I'm their, I'm their staff attorney, and uh, I take all uh, cases that they have, and if the victims are unrepresented, I represent them in court. Uh, domestic Violence Court is on Monday. And then uh, on Thursdays, we have interviews, and we discuss their cases, and we plan for uh, uh, plan for trials. Now, when we talk about uh, domestic violence court, the, the court that you attend on Monday, uh, that is not a criminal uh, proceeding, but is civil in nature and deals with uh, orders of protection. And if you would, take a few minutes and, and tell us what an order of protection is, what it's designed to do, and uh, what effect it has in domestic violence cases. You're absolutely right. Uh, an order of protection is a civil remedy. It's uh, Some people refer to it in, as, an, as a stay-away order. It's more than that, but it is a civil remedy. The, uh, someone who needs an order of protection can go to the clerk's office, or they can go to the domestic violence program, and they can uh, fill out the paperwork. If you come to the domestic violence program, we'll help you with the paperwork. We'll help you draw it up. And then that paperwork is submitted to a judge, 
and it's submitted to a judge, and he takes an initial look at it to see if there's enough, he thinks, enough reason to issue uh, an order of protection keeping the alleged abuser away from that person. Uh, that's issued, uh, and then it's served by the police. They actually read that to them, and uh, then they're required to stay away from the victim until their hearing. The hearing is held probably, uh, I think, is required within uh, 15 days of its issuance. And, uh, of course, uh, at the hearing, the uh, both parties appear. Uh, as you've stated, you represent the victim. The uh, person that's uh, being served with the order of protection can uh, also appear with counsel. And tell us what the purpose of the hearing is and what the court decides at that time. The purpose of the hearing is to make the order of protection uh, a permanent or a full order. When it's first issued by the judge, it's issued in an, what's called an ex parte form, which means only one person has had their say. The victim has said, I need an order of protection, here's why. But the, the alleged abuser hasn't had a chance to have his, day, his or her day in court, and so that's what the hearing is for. At the end of the hearing, if there is one, the judge makes a determination, and if the order of protection is issued, it's issued for a year. And, uh, the, of course, the court puts certain conditions in that, uh, and it may even uh, make conditions for if there are children involved for the support of the children or, or the, uh, uh, the arrangements regarding seeing the children and whatnot. Uh, and, and the order is really designed to hopefully uh, make people stop and think before they act. And... Uh, can you estimate for us how many cases might be heard on a particular uh, Monday? Sure. we It's every Monday except for certain Mondays uh, during the year. Uh, and we see anywhere, uh, General, we see anywhere between 20 and 30 cases uh, of orders of protection every week. And uh, I, I guess, uh, as you've described it, a stay-away order, I, I guess at at times, there are a lot of people, maybe a lot of married folks or boyfriends and girlfriends that want the other one to stay away from them for one reason or another. But what is necessary in order for the court to intervene? Is it just that a couple of people are, are mad at each other and fussing, or does it take more? It takes a whole lot more than that. Just because someone's mad at somebody doesn't get you an order of protection. You have to have a reasonable expectation of serious bodily injury or uh, death. You have to be in fear, and that fear has to be uh, easily and uh, succinctly communicated to the court. So this is not for somebody who wants to get a hand up in a divorce. This is not for somebody who uh, just wants somebody out of the house. This is for somebody who's in fear, someone who thinks that they are going to uh, incur some kind of bodily harm. Would it be a fair statement that in your seven years' experience that uh, when uh, a person obtains an order of protection, uh, through the court, or even without obtaining an order of protection, they are attempting to leave the either the residence or leave the relationship. Is that the most dangerous time in abusive situations? There's no question about that. The what What's happening when you take out an order of protection and when that's served is you're trying to get your life back. You're trying to get back control of your life as a victim. And that simply means that the, um, uh, that the abuser is losing control. And so that abuser is going to start pushing every button that he or she knows in order to get that control back. And we teach, when we interview and when we uh, talk to people about orders of protection, we teach them about uh, a safety plan. 
one of the things you know you were t- that the law has changed for is we can ask now with an order of protection to get immediate possession of that house. We can exclude people from the house so that they don't have to leave. But the other thing we do is we teach them a safety plan, the victims, and that says simply this. Have a little suitcase in your trunk. Have a change of clothes nearby. Have a safety plan so that when you order protection is issued, here's what you do. You go and you don't look back. Most people, when they, when they get killed, when they get injured, when they get severely beaten, it's when they go back. They've got to be ready to go, and that's why we have the shelter, and that's why we teach about safety plans. And uh, that's also the reason that, that the court systems try to get involved at that point. And... Uh, Another thing that I want to talk about, in addition to the uh, Rutherford County Domestic Violence Program that you're associated with, we also have another uh, court domestic violence program that is active in the criminal courts, particularly the General Sessions Courts, and I'm sure you're aware of that. That's right, and uh, that special court is really a help to us because we transfer and help give our information to them. And and. Quite frequently, there is a criminal proceeding uh, where someone has been charged with domestic assault, and going on uh, coincidental at that time will be an order of protection proceeding uh, in the civil court. And the two different branches share the information that they have, as I understand what you're saying. That's right. And uh, I also know that there uh, uh, victim uh, uh, assistance in the criminal court so coordinating between uh, the district attorney's office and the domestic violence program in criminal court and also the uh, Rutherford County domestic violence program, we're trying to make a difference and uh, hopefully keep things from happening like happening. I have a question for both of you, uh, and what I'm going to ask you is would, would both of you all support legislation that would say that if someone kills someone in violation of, of an order of protection where the court has said you stay away from this person, you leave this person alone, that if they in fact kill that person, that that would either automatically be qualified as first-degree murder or an aggravating circumstance for the death penalty. I guess, General White, I'll ask you first. Well, certainly, Paul, you know, uh, you and I have had that conversation uh, many times, and I'm trying to recall, I believe it was the first show that we were on the air, we discussed aggravating circumstances in capital cases and uh, the the factors that the legislature has deemed uh, that qualifies a case to be a death penalty case. And uh, we've said many times that once a court has stepped in and ordered someone uh, to stay away, in other words, you have brought the legal system in to be a barrier and try to protect somebody that if someone uh, breaks that court order and it results in death, that it should be first-degree murder. And as you know, uh, and Mitch, I know you know this, uh, in our aggravated assault statutes, if someone is under an order of protection and they assault the person that order has been issued uh, for them to stay away from, that raises it from simple assault to aggravated assault. So what you're talking about is carrying this on to the level of homicides to make it an aggravated uh, uh, circumstance for a death penalty or an automatic first-degree murder case. 
Mitch, do you have any input, or how do you feel about that? You no, know, I agree 100%. And, you know, in an order of protection case, earlier I said that orders of protection were civil in nature, but they're actually quasi-criminal in nature because, just like General Weitzel said, as things ramp up when you disobey a court order, same thing with an order of protection. If you violate an order of protection, then it becomes a, a civil contempt issue punishable by time in jail, and you can extend your order of protection by five or ten years. So I would support that as well. Well, Mitch, we want to thank you for being here. Um, I, I also want to say we appreciate all the work that the people at the domestic violence program have done over a number of years. Uh, the community has supported that program. Uh, they have a wonderful shelter. And I would ask every everybody listening this morning to support the, the domestic violence program with your uh, time and especially with your money. It's a, it's a very valuable program. And hopefully, I, I know we don't know, we can't quantify it, but I am sure that we have saved people's lives as a result of that program. So thank you for being here this morning. Help us stop domestic violence in our community. If you are the victim of domestic violence or know someone who is, contact the Domestic Violence Center for guidance and assistance. The Rutherford County Domestic Violence Center is located at 1423 Kensington Square North in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The number to call is 615-896-7377. Also, the Domestic Center Hotline is 615-896-2012. That number again is 615-896-2012. Domestic violence is a problem in our community. Do what you can to stop domestic violence before it is too late. issues there's someone local you can talk to financial coaching radio with certified financial planner jason qualls weekdays at four on news radio wgns as we begin the year of 2021 i want to take this time to announce that on many of our future broadcasts we will present a new segment the segment will be called Profiles in Criminal Justice. Profiles in Criminal Justice will highlight the life, the career, and the extraordinary sacrifices and contributions of a person who has served in our community as a criminal justice professional. The person could be a police officer, a district attorney, a public defender, a judge or anyone else who has served our community as a criminal justice professional and who is truly deserving of special recognition as a profile in criminal justice. As we end our program today, we thank our producer, Nick Coyne. We thank WGNS, for providing the airtime. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Our next scheduled broadcast 
is Friday morning, March the 5th, at 8.10 a.m. on your Good Neighbor Station, WGNS. We leave by saying, a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my co-host, Jennings Jones, this is Paul Newman, bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro. WGNS talks about all things local. It's Rutherford Issues with Brian Barrett. Weekday mornings at 10 on WGNS, AM, FM, and online. Turn your fingers into a microphone and talk back. WGNSRadio.com is Rutherford County's online source for what matters to you. WGNSRadio.com. News Radio, WGNS, Murfreesboro, the voice of Rutherford County, and the flagship station for Blue Raiders Sports. The Cordas Clock shows it's 9 o'clock.